Hello, everyone. Today is July 20th, 2020, and welcome back to the Change Healthcare Policy Connection. I'm Deanne Kasim, and with me today is Arian Malik. Hey, Arian. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Nice to have you here. We have a special guest today, which I'll get to his introduction in a minute. Uh, today, we're talking about the important considerations employers need to think about to reopen safely and work and really getting back to the way or some semblance of the way things were for the longer term. How do we do that safely? We brought in a noted expert to lead the conversation. Our guest today is Dr. David Shulkin. Dr. Shulkin served as the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, having been appointed by President Trump. Secretary Shulkin previously served as undersecretary for health, having been appointed by President Obama. Prior to coming to the VA, Secretary Shulkin was a widely respected healthcare executive, having served as chief executive of leading hospitals and health systems, including Beth Israel in New York City and Morristown Medical Center in northern New Jersey. Dr. Shulkin is also a founder and entrepreneur and has served on boards of managed care organizations, technology companies, and healthcare organizations. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Shulkin. We're pleased to have you here. I'm glad to be with both of you. Great. Before we get started with our discussion, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your current work, what you and your team focus on every day, and maybe touch on your impressive career journey that has involved working with healthcare leaders across both the private and public sectors? Well, Deanna, I don't want to take up the whole talk about uh, <laughs> what's been going on with myself. Uh, I've had a real privilege of being a physician, of helping a lot of people throughout my career of leading organizations in both the private sector and in the public sector. And now I'm trying to take that knowledge and do something even more meaningful with it. And that's to help as many organizations as I can, whether they're not-for-profit organizations that help in the daily lives of veterans, whether it's helping in uh, not-for-profit organizations, improving the behavioral health care in this country, something I feel very strongly about or whether it is helping organizations get back to where they were before and uh, get back to doing what they are so good at doing and opening up the economy after this pandemic that we're all witnessing right now. And so I'm trying to use the knowledge that I have in government and the private sector and as a physician and as an executive in using that to try to help people make good decisions to get people back to work safely and to uh, uh, get back to what we all thought was a normal life before this pandemic. That's great. Yeah, there's certainly a need for that. Um, this year has been quite uh, unlike any other, so I can appreciate that. Well, let's jump right in. COVID-19 is a novel virus, um, and there's been a lot we've learned in a short period of time, maybe some things we got right, maybe some things that now with the knowledge we have, Perhaps we could have done things better. Um, but in your mind, what are the top five lessons that we have overall learned so far about this virus and about how to handle it? Well, I, I think, you know, this is what's so interesting about having a crisis like this go on is, is that it dominates the news. And I think all together, we've learned an incredible amount that seems like it's almost changed on a daily basis over this past six months. Um, I think that it's really important for us to be able to look back upon this journey because um, the whole goal 
of what we should be doing as a nation, as a part of a global uh, partnership with other countries is to make sure that we're identifying disease outbreaks and preventing them from becoming pandemics. Once it becomes a pandemic, especially when it's a viral pandemic, it is very, very hard to control. And I think that we're seeing that right now. So I think when you look at what those lessons are, the first is is not having a good enough surveillance system in place to be able to have really seen that we should have known about this and taken this um, pandemic and the steps to prevent it from really spreading more seriously. Um, and while we knew that something was happening over in China and Wuhan, China in December and certainly in early January, it really wasn't until almost late February that we started to take steps as a country. The first thing that we had trouble with, of course, was diagnostic testing. And um, we still are to this day in July having trouble with diagnostic testing. Our testing taking more than a week on average to get back. And that just defeats the whole purpose of testing, which is early identification and isolation of asymptomatic people to prevent the spread. So I think clearly surveillance and testing is one thing. Second thing is we didn't really know a lot about this disease and how it affected people. When uh, we started first hearing about it, we heard that it didn't impact children. Now we know, of course, it not only impacts children, but that children are carriers of this. And today we see a South Korean study suggesting that it's children above age nine through 18 that are more likely to be uh, more robust in that carrier state. So I think understanding the health consequences of the disease, who it impacts and what it, what it, how it begins to impact physiologically is important. We now understand that while this enters as a respiratory disease, it really is in many ways a vascular disease. And that's why we're seeing it in the endothelium of blood vessels, in the brain, uh, you know, neurologically impacting people, of course, in the respiratory system, the GI system, the cardiac system. So um, we are just really beginning to understand what some of these long-term consequences of this virus are going to be. Uh, probably a third thing is, is that I don't think that we anticipated how seriously this was going to impact our senior homes, our places where people are confined, like in jails and in our healthcare environments themselves. We've seen literally thousands of healthcare workers, first responders now get sick and many of them die. We've seen this devastate our senior homes and our nursing homes uh, with residents just really, um, you know, really having terrible consequences and other, other places where people congregate like our correctional facilities. Uh, so I think that now we know that. In the beginning, another lesson that we learned was we didn't really understand the mode of, of action. The World Health Organization said this was not an aerosolized disease. Even some U.S. public health officials suggesting that masks weren't necessary, while the international experience had been that they were using masks consistently in this virus. Now we do know that this is primarily spread in an aerosolized manner. And so I think that that has really changed our approach to this. Um, and, um, you know, now, uh, hopefully, there can be a more consistent strategy that needs to occur. 
And then, you know, I think another, the fifth sort of uh, lessons have to do with the therapeutics and what's going to end this uh, pandemic for the, for the permanent long run. And of course, that is going to be probably a vaccine. We still today do not have um, extremely effective therapeutics. There's hopes that new monoclonal antibodies coming out soon may be helpful in reducing morbid, morbidity and mortality. Uh, today, there was a report uh, coming out of the United Kingdom about interferon B potentially being helpful with morbidity and mortality in an in, in in inhaled form of interferon B. So we're continuing to learn a great deal, but we've gone through a lot of drugs that we thought would be helpful that actually turned out not to be helpful as well. So it's really been um, a very important journey where we've uh, seen how we've either been slow to act uh, and in other cases where we've probably made assumptions that turn out not to be true. And um, I don't want to be a backseat driver on this. You know, I think everyone's tried to deal with this with as good intentions as possible, but we certainly are at a point right now where there doesn't appear to be a good control of this virus, that the pandemic is essentially out of control in this country, or at least in many parts of the country. So the journey is far from over. Yeah, yeah, it's a very comprehensive list. Thank you. Hey, uh, so maybe we can switch gears to your work uh, with employers. And, uh, you know, I think what you, you've obviously worked with some large employers, including, and I think sometimes people don't appreciate uh, the role of the VA as a large uh, distributed uh, employer uh, with employees, uh, some of whom are direct employees and contract-based employees across the, the, the country. You know, speaking from that perspective as an employer, uh, as somebody who uh, has a distributed workforce across the country, What's the obligation for employers in uh, both keeping their employees safe and in keeping society safe? Um, and what's that obligation as employers and as um, as uh, participants in the community working with federal, state, uh, local, and local public health departments? Well, I think the job of every organization, whether you're an employer, whether you're government, whether you're uh, a not-for-profit organization is to uh, define what your organization or your company stands for, establish principles that are consistent with what your company stands for, and then clearly communicate a plan that is going to be consistent with those principles. I happen to believe it is one of the jobs of leadership of a CEO of a company uh, to keep its employees safe and to make sure that um, it's keeping the people that it serves, its customers safe as well, too. And, uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm a physician, but I put that as the highest priority, that if you uh, undertake business activities that put people at risk, that that is going to be bad for your business, that people are going to lose confidence. And while you may get away with it here and there in a short-term approach, long-term, that's always going to be a bad thing for the sustainability of your business. So once you establish the principles that safety uh, is of a key essential component of the way that you're gonna operate your business, then you need to decide upon what criteria you're gonna use to be able to keep people safe. And hopefully that should be driven 
by evidence. It should be driven by science and not by uh, an interpretation of it that has um, people's personal beliefs in it, that where you can use objective data, you should use that. I think that we've gotten to that point with COVID where we now know enough about the symptoms of COVID when it begins to be expressed, if it's not asymptomatic, that we can consistently look and screen people in, a, in an efficient way. We now are beginning to get enough information about testing to know when testing is effective and when it may not be effective. We're getting to know enough information about preventative measures, whether it's social distancing, hygiene, whether it's masks or personal protective equipment, that we can uh, now know how to apply those in an effective way. And we can look at other objective criteria like ventilations and um, you know cleaning and disinfecting uh, strategies to be able to develop protocols and guidelines to be able to, again, use objective criteria to keep people safe. I think the final job of leadership, and it can be challenging when your organization's big. The last organization I ran was 425,000 people. But even when I've run very small organizations, um, I think you can never communicate as a leader enough. And especially in times of crisis where people are fearful, mistrustful, uh, communication is essential to be consistent in your messaging, to tie it back to your principles, to talk about what's important, what the mission of the company or the organization is. And only the leader can really effectively set the path forward for that type of communication. Uh, maybe I can follow up and uh, ask you what the um, what the um, the obligation of of employers is in working, as I said, with uh, with uh, local, federal, and state governments. Um, you know, what's the there's a a listen uh, aspect to that, but then there's also a public policy aspect to that. And what's what should be the the public policy um, hat that uh, large employers should should take? Well. It, the role of government primarily is to ensure the safety of its citizens. Before this pandemic, many people only thought about that in terms of national security. But those of us who have been worried about public health issues have always understood the important role of government when it comes to a time like crisis, uh, a time of crisis like this. So I think looking towards local, regional, and federal health facilities for um, information and certainly current data and um, certainly standards that can be used, I think that is appropriate and employers should be looking towards their government for that. But what I always tell the employers that we work with is, is that government sets the floor. That's when a regulation comes out or a mandate comes out, of course, it's important to follow that and you should follow that, but that's the floor. It doesn't mean that an employer shouldn't be looking beyond that uh, to put in place what they feel they can do, what put in place those measures that they feel really are consistent with their values of keeping their employees and their customers safe. And so often that's well beyond what local, regional, and federal governments uh, are requiring from everyone. And then um, what's your view of the state of work uh, in the short term? And then uh, how should employers think about the redesign of work over the long term? Uh, so as an example, 
I have a friend of mine who works for the U.S. federal government in um, uh, looking at building uh, really things like the design of AC systems. What's the what's the role of employers in the next call it nine to twelve months? And then what is the role of employers in the long term uh, to pre-plan for the next uh, major uh, pandemic or epidemic? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be a continuum. Clearly, I think in the short term, uh, most employers are worried about the sustainability of their business. There's been extreme damage to many companies, um, both financially as well as just a disruption of commerce uh, that's happened. And frankly, it's not clear when that's going to end. So I think most employers are worried about, rightly so, is there a way to be able to get their businesses in better uh, in a more secure position and do it safely, again, with their employees and their customers in mind. And so um, this is where it really requires that people understand their local data. What is the risk of asymptomatic spread of the virus in their local region? How do they begin to track and understand and have objective criteria about when it is safe to reopen and how it is that they can reopen safely. And that's where I think that you can be looking towards government for some of this, but many organizations need expert advice just like they would in any other crisis to help them get through this and make those decisions safely. I think longer term, almost everybody should realize that pandemics tend to change the world. They tend to change the world economically, sociologically, psychologically, financially, and also the way that people go about their normal daily life. And this pandemic is going to be no different. So depending upon what industry you're in, you do need to think about, do I have to rethink the way that I was doing business? Is there a different business model? Is there a different way of doing business? Do my workers need to be physically present? Is there going to be virtual work, teleworking? Is there going to be scattered um, approaches towards staffing in the way that we hadn't done it before. In healthcare, obviously, which is my area of work, um, I think the, the easiest uh, implication that we can see of the pandemic is, is that people um, may not want to go back to the days of sitting in their doctor's offices and going back to hospitals. And this technology that's been around for 40 years now called telehealth may actually uh, be here to stay. That the only reason why telehealth had not become widely utilized and disseminated was because of regulatory barriers and reimbursement barriers, both artificial barriers, that now that they've been sort of opened up because of the pandemic, I think people are seeing that there really is a different way of being able to deliver healthcare, or at least a complementary way with physical healthcare. So that uh, it's an example of how I think every healthcare organization needs to rethink about the way that they're doing business and the way that they're going to do it in the future. Uh, just as a follow on to that, you know, I think the, I've done work with the DOD and with uh, VA in the past. You obviously have deep familiarity with VA. And it, it occurs to me that when you take uh, fee-for-service reimbursement out of the equation, there is a natural practice pattern 
um, that involves uh, telemedicine, that involves secure messaging, that involves treating patients over the continuum and not optimizing for face-to-face. And I think it's it's worthwhile learning from um, these institutions that have been able to take out the fee-for-service uh, reimbursement policy as potential guidelines for the way that, that care can work. But um, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, maybe turn it over to Deanne for uh, some, some additional questions. Thanks, Arian. So, Dr. Shulkin, you started a company that helps employers reopen U.S. Healthy Work. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what, what the team is focusing on? Yeah, back in February, when this virus first started coming to this country, I was getting a lot of phone calls from employers, people in government, people in various organizations, and asking for help. And of course, I naturally wanted to help. And what I found was was that so much of what one company or one organization was asking about was almost identical to what another organization or company was asking about. There was a uh, a limited amount of knowledge that we had about this virus. And so what we developed in U.S. Healthy Work was really a way of sharing and updating information about how to manage the COVID virus and how to prevent the virus from spreading uh, in a way that you can share this information among employers or colleges and universities or other organizations in a very, very cost-effective way. So we've been able to scale the sharing of the information and then combining it with the customization that every employer needs, which can often be small, but really important. So some of our customers today uh, go into people's homes because they install windows and their issues about entering people's homes are a little bit different than some of our customers that run radio stations who have small studios that are designed really not to have windows or to it because they want to be soundproof. And yet, how do you put people back in the studio safely when they weren't designed to have a lot of air circulation? And so each of our employers uh, and our customers have a little bit different issues, but we take our medical knowledge and our organizational knowledge and we help each of those employers apply it to what we know works and what those best practices and evidence-based practices are in being able to prevent COVID infection from spreading and helping them get back to their business. So uh, it's really been a a very fulfilling uh, opportunity to work with so many different organizations across the country. Great. Yeah, I think right here at Change Healthcare, you know, we're a perfect example of we have offices in so many different places with so many different even local restrictions, right? So we have offices in the Atlanta area, um, which have different restrictions or lack of restrictions, perhaps, than what we have in our office in California, where Arian is, versus what we have um, where my team is. We're based in Maryland. So how do you keep on top of all that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a full-time job, and I'm amazed at how many business owners have been really comprehensively trying to follow the various recommendations and the new articles and the science that's coming out. And um, I think that we've seen people do a great job in trying to stay up to date on things. But the truth is, is that they all have other jobs to do, and they should be focused on those and um you know, if they can reliably get the 
new information that's needed and have people who know what they're doing sort through it so that they're not getting bad information. I think that's probably what most employers need. Sure. I know you're working with schools, and that's something that I watch just in the Washington, D.C. area, is there's so many school jurisdictions that are doing different things, either a combination of online and in-person and shifts versus completely online versus we haven't made an announcement yet because we're still struggling. You know, what have been some of the key issues you've seen schools dealing with right now? Well, I, I think everyone wants to get back to a place where they can have students back in classrooms and on campuses and in their facilities uh, safely. But, um, but I think that what schools are dealing with is, is, you know, how do you, how do you accomplish that in a way that assures safety? And uh, it has to do with what's the incidence of infection in the community that the schools located in. And so I think people are struggling with trying to understand where is their school going to be in August or September whenever it's time for the students to go back. Is this virus going to be, uh, you know, decreasing in a sense or increasing in a sense? And uh, so many schools are taking the steps necessary to plan right now. They're redesigning their classrooms. They're redesigning their cafeterias, their athletic programs. They're looking at what type of protective equipment do they need? Should they be putting up more plexiglass barriers? Do they uh, have to, you know, take certain seating arrangements out of their classrooms? And um, what are the testing strategies that are that are important? Should they be doing routine testing or only testing when symptoms develop or there are known outbreaks? And how do you deal with students or staff that do get infected? And what type of contact tracing should you do? So, what we do with our schools and universities is help them through each step along the way and develop a comprehensive plan that helps them not only in knowing how they should be preparing right now, but how that plan should be adjusted should the incidence of infection change or should there be an outbreak of infection at their school or university. Great. Thank you for that. Closing thoughts, either of you? What haven't what have we asked about or what haven't we talked about that's uh, vital from the national perspective, but also vital from the perspective of employers? Well, I, I do think uh, at a national perspective, you know, we really are at a time where we need to come together with a national strategy. And I think this is one of the differences that we've seen between our approach and what's happened internationally. And... Um, you know, it's a time that, uh, you know, we're Americans. We're going to have different views and different perspectives and different opinions. But what we need out of a uh, national strategy is a defined approach. Um, and people can argue with whether they agree with the national strategy or not. But 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 you need a strategy to be able to argue with. And um, we just can't see this constant yo-yoing of opening and closing and responding to infections in hospitals, you know, preparing, and then all of a sudden they're being overwhelmed. And so it feels very, very much like when you turn on the news in the morning, you're not sure what you're going to see, and you're not sure what direction this pandemic is headed in. 
in this country. And I think that it really is time for a national strategy and this experiment of 50 different uh, states, each coming up with their own plan. Uh, I think we need to declare that a failed strategy and now and now move on. When it comes to employers, as I said, government can only be a part of the picture. And, you know, I've said that I think that you need to uh, look at it as the floor. And so every employer has the same obligation of leadership to be able to define their own plan to assure the sustainability of their business, the safety of their employees and their customers. And um, that's a challenging uh, plan to come up with in these times that it feels like we're in a moving target. And so, uh, you know, finding people that can help advise them and guide them through those decisions. I think that's just a prudent thing to do, but um, I think it's important to do so that we can not be waiting for people to tell us what to do, but that we're actually part of the plan to get this country back on track. Right. We'll leave it there then. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Shulkin, for joining us today to talk about these important issues. For our listeners, please don't forget to check the episode notes for links to resources and contact information related to our discussion today. Stay tuned to the Change Healthcare podcast for more episodes covering policy, healthcare operations, and technology topics that you care about. For more information on other healthcare IT information, please visit changehealthcare.com. I'm Deanne Katim with Aaron Malik, Dr. Shulkin. Thank you for joining us again. Have a great day and be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.